Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm interviewing Paul Kehoe. Paul is the former CEO of Birmingham International Airport. And since leaving that post in 2017, he now spends his time as a non-executive director of five different organisations. I battled the snow to meet Paul. We could have done it by phone, but it's always more interesting to meet people face to face. I think human connection continues to increase in importance in our fast technological world. Paul talked about how technology is changing our behaviour. And of course, we had to discuss the major challenge that all UK airports face of the wrong kind of snow on the runway. I hope you enjoy the interview this week. Hello, Paul. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. For the benefit of the listeners, can you introduce yourself, please, and tell us who you are and what you do? um, I am Paul Kehoe. I was, until last year, the Chief Executive of Birmingham Airport. My current roles are Chairman of the West Midlands Growth Company, President of the Birmingham Chamber of Commerce, a Director of the Coventry and Warwickshire Local Enterprise Partnership, and lastly, I've just joined the Board of Warwick University as an independent member of Council. So those four non-executive roles sort of keep me busy. There's a fifth role, which I've just started as a chairman of a very, very tiny tech company in Leamington, who are struggling somewhat, but actually have got some brilliant products and brilliant ideas, and they were looking for someone to come and give them some advice. And that's something that uh, I'm fascinated by, because technology is transforming the way we do business. And uh, this little project, uh, I think, could be, uh, if they get it right... It'll be a brilliant outcome. Did it wrong? It'll be sad. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot on there, and um, and what a great what a great thing to get involved in with a with an up and coming. Yeah, well, it's a startup. It's a, it is a startup business, yeah. and and I guess uh, there are always challenges with startups because they are managing brand new product in a market that's not yet tested. But if you if you look at all the the component parts they they've put together, you think actually, if we hit the right target market, if we get the right customer, mm-hmm. this could be very big and very lucrative for the guys. And, and tech's often like that. Yes, yeah. So we will see, but um, it is very different for me, uh, the sort of roles I'm now doing, compared to being an executive manager and leader of a business, where the cut and thrust, not only the strategic, looking at the long distance and the global uh, risks that we have to face, but the sort of more local level, if someone's bags go missing from an airport, and you get the email, you know, you're going to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what we've seen in the last you know, 20 years is the rise of consumer power. Mm-hmm. And that's come again because of social media yeah. and the technology the consumer has in their hands. In the old days, it was a letter, and the letter came days after the incident. Now it's live. And it's public. And it's public. And uh, if that's a, 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 you know, a person who's got a significant Twitter uh, following or a Facebook following, you know, instantly your track record is laid bare mm. and if you don't follow up you're crucified so do you think social media creates and technology creates more uncertainty for business yeah and just think 2007 we had mobile phones mm-hmm. and we used them as phones and they were a very useful tool now we have this addictive tool truly addictive that you are checking, or most people are checking, you see them walking around the streets, mm. not looking ahead, looking at their phones and their 
they're just focused on that and you know, every 20 minutes they have to check something you have to be liked as a you know and people get worried about not being liked on stuff and you go this is a transformational shift mm. with technology impacting certainly in the west and and, and presumably you know as, as mobile phones and, and, and smartphones extend into other cultures but in the usa canada western europe russia middle east where there's money these phones are there and they have changed the way we do things mm. and changed our behaviors and made us more impatient yes. so for managers well you've got a problem now if you're in a customer facing role you've got a real problem because the consumer has a means to tell the world that you're rubbish mm. and it's a bit like gerald ratner you might recall yeah. when he said not gerald, gerald he was at ratner's anyway yes the guy yeah. who's uh, said our products are crap and that instant, the whole thing fell apart. Mm. It was own making. Well, you've got hundreds of Gerald, Geralds out there who can destroy your business. And it takes you years to build up a business and its reputation, its brand, and seconds to, for it to be destroyed, thanks to this wonderful technology. It's a real so challenge for us. It, it is a challenge. So do you think, um, I mean, obviously you're at both ends, so you're at a startup, startup and then obviously Birmingham Airport as the, as the chief exec. Which do you think is more challenging? Well, if you if you think about you know uh, food in mouth, I is your salary going to be paid at the end of the month, and are you going to be able to put food on the table for your kids? The startup's more challenging. Yeah. If you're a big corporate, well, things just roll on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have that momentum uh, and track record, and, and they're two very different businesses. And the airport business uh, is actually quite a small business. There are only sixty airports in the UK. Um, so that's sixty managers. And there's only about 15 that really matter mm -hmm. because they're the sort of three, four, five million passenger per annum airports. So places like East Midlands or Bristol, all the way up to the Heathrows at 75 million passengers. So it's actually a very small market for you know, managers, but we all face exactly the same issues. And the question I always ask myself is where should these managers have been trained? Where should these leaders have been trained? University, business school? And I keep coming back to the one answer which is Cirque du Soleil, because it's like a circus, because all the plate spinning that you need to do, you need that, those, those dexterous skills to keep the plate spinning, and those plates are the community, the shareholders, the customers, and there's two sets of customers, the, the passenger or the airline. Yeah. Uh, there's government, local, there's unions, there's stuff. I mean, it just goes on. Mm -hmm. and every one of them wants a piece of your time and a piece of the action. So... It's all very well saying there's you know, food in the mouth down here, but up here the challenges are you know, multivariate and uh, you then get geophysical things that throw you off course. What do we mean by that? Well, a nice landing volcano explodes and everyone stops flying for 10 days. All the snow that we're having today. <laughs> yeah, so snow, uh, completely unpredictable. Mm. Uh, well, it's going to snow, you know that, why don't you prepare for it? Until the snow actually falls, you don't know what sort of snow you're going to get. And depending on what snow you're going to get, is how you deploy your resources to clean it up. And people say, well, you, you can just clean the runway and the planes land. Yes, you can do that. But the moment you put something on the runway to clean anything, the runway is what we call black. It can't be used by anything else other than the snow clearing equipment. Right. So you can't land airplanes. That Heathrow or perhaps Manchester or indeed Gatwick, where they've got a second runway, you can alternate. But... 99% of all the other airports, they've got one runway, and if you put something on it, no aeroplane's going to land. Right. So the terminal slot operates, and people still come, and it gets very busy and very packed, 
And the, the big, the single message that we always get time and time again, you're not communicating enough. With passengers? Yeah, with passengers. Yeah. You're never communicating enough. Mm-hmm. And you communicate. And we went out of our way to communicate through Twitter, through Facebook, through announcements in the airport. But people don't hear them, don't mm-hmm. see them. And as you're not sorting out their immediate problem, you don't communicate. And that was the biggest feedback we used to get. Then you get feedback on other things, other services mm-hmm. that weren't quite mm-hmm. right. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it was a challenging business because it's a live environment. Yeah. And, you know, for example, I often use, we always have a standard of setting. 95% of our passengers would get a brilliant service. That meant 5% don't get that. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good standard. Mm-hmm. But for the 5%, when it's a million passengers, it's a very small number. When it's 10 million passengers, it's half a, it's half a million passengers who yeah. don't get a great service. And you go, half a million passengers. They've all got mobile phones. And that probably goes to another 100 people. And that's 5 million. And then suddenly it's 15 million, 20 million people suddenly know that you mm. haven't cleaned the toilets. And we all remember that one flight that was a disaster, don't we? <laughs> well, I, you know, my, my son is just going off to, to Canada and his flight's been cancelled overnight. And I, regaling to him, uh, I came back from um, from Shanghai with British Airways. British Airways, great airline, love them. Been a card holder for them for years. But when things go wrong, managing adversity, they were absolutely appalling. Now, maybe because it was in China. Mm-hmm. But basically, they cancelled. The engine didn't work on the aeroplane, which is good. You know, we don't want to fly. Um, and the pilot said, you know, all the all the right things were offloaded. We collected our bags, went through immigration, and the whole thing fell apart. And uh, we were told we're going to a hotel. We drove past this hotel by the airport, and we ended up in a downtown hotel, uh, 400 of us in in a a rather grotty Chinese hotel, having just come from a rather nice hotel. Uh, The food that was put on was appalling. The communications were dreadful. Uh, In the end, I came back, made my own way back without using British Airways and and, uh, complained to them. But it's that, you know, had they managed that better, yeah. they'd have 400, 400 ambassadors saying, mm. what a great job. In the end, they got 400 people bitterly complaining about them mm. for what was a, a clear safety issue. Yeah. The aeroplane engine didn't work. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is, it's okay to fail, but we've got to fail in a way mm. where we communicate well, where we support people through it. Absolutely. Yeah. So failure is not a bad thing, by the mm. way. Mm. And I think one of the challenges that we face now as in, as in business is that People don't like failure. Mm. We are so risk averse, mm-hmm. people will not allow. So having a culture that allows you to fail is a learning culture. Yeah. Because hopefully you learn from that and you fix it. Because yeah. if you're presented with something, it goes wrong. Okay, there's a set of circumstances I haven't seen before. How do I react to that? Okay, I can fix this. And I've learned, mm-hmm. so it's good. Mm-hmm. But if you're not allowed to fail, mm-hmm. when you are presented with a massive crisis and you've never picked up all these learning cues along the way, it bec- just becomes a disaster. Well, and then people don't know how to recover from it. Absolutely, because yeah. they've never had the opportunity. Yeah. I think my management style when I was at the airport is I would let people make mistakes, mm-hmm. provided they learned from the mistake and didn't, it wasn't repeated. Yeah. So, you know, once, fine, okay, we learned from that. Twice, you should have learned from that. If it's a third time, something's really wrong and we need to sort this out. Yeah. And uh, increasingly, though, people are trying to minimise this. Of course, we, all want, we don't no one wants a disaster. No. But in minimising risk, uh, there is a difference, I think, between risk averseness and risk readiness. Yes. So if you're risk ready, you understand the risk you're taking, 
And in aviation, they're pretty disastrous risks. If it goes wrong, people can get killed. Mm. And, and mm. we all are aware of that, mm. or injured in some way. Mm. But it's, it, it's, it's, for me, training people to cope with adversity and then finding things that you know, are new to them and allowing them to, 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 to learn from that is the way to minimise risk, yeah. not don't do anything. And to know what kind of risks are okay risks to take and which ones aren't. So obviously you don't want to take risks with people's lives, but no. there are you know, a whole ton of processes behind getting an airline on, you know, on a runway and up in the air. Yeah. There's a whole load of other things behind that where I'm guessing as a business you can take more risks. Well, that, don't, you know, that don't affect people's lives. Clearly, you could take more commercial risk. Yeah. So if you look at the sort of the, the risk profile of an airport, if, if someone doesn't buy a bottle of duty free, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. If someone doesn't put a you know uh, a bag on an airplane, well, it's a risk, but it's not a, not a real. It's not like. But if they if they do something to damage the airplane, or they put a, you know part an article in on the ground which gets sucked into the engine, or we don't clear the or a vehicle drives onto the runway. There's, you know, there, there yeah. are, and as we go up that line, there are more and more control measures that we put in place, mm-hmm. and we report back. So, in our in a typical board meeting, the first thing we'd report, you know, you'd have the uh, apologies, uh, minutes of the last meeting, uh, and then the next thing would be health and safety. Mm-hmm. The safety culture is paramount. Right. Every director would sign the um, the safety plan mm-hmm. and the health and safety plan. So we had a safety plan and a health and safety plan. Why safety? Because the Civil Aviation Authority are here, health and safety organisation over here, and they would effectively sign in blood. This is how our, our commitment to that, and we would live by that. Mm-hmm. But new non-executive directors coming in don't see that right. because they're not in the day-to-day and they have a helicopter view and they get very nervous about anything that has the word risk attached to it. Right. And as a, as, a, as a leader of an organisation or as directors in an organisation, managing the day-to-day and keeping the, the, the board happy is quite difficult. Because mm. these guys are up here saying, we don't like risk, we've got shelters to worry about, oh, you know, and we've got, to, we've got to manage this. So a classic example for us is when we insourced air traffic control. Right. So we took hold of the national air traffic control business that was provided by a national provider and brought it in-house. A four-year programme to go from one to the other. Uh, it's only just been completed last year, effectively. And the shells were very, very nervous. And the only reason that we were able to do it is that myself and my chief operating officer at the time were both former air traffic controllers. Right. So we were familiar with the business. Okay. Now, the bizarre thing is the board thought we were taking on more risk. But actually, the risk was always there. The third party provider, in the case of National Air Traffic Services, would immediately pass the risk to us. We're an outsource provider. It's your risk, Paul. You can't so walk away. So it was away your from... risk anyway. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're insuring against it. Mm-hmm. What we did, though, is we brought it in house. We had greater measure of control, greater oversight, because we were now in the business, and it wasn't provided by a third party. And so, actually, our risk, our risk knowledge became so much better. So we, as operational managers, were far more comfortable. The board said, "We've taken on extra risk." We said, "No, you haven't." And trying to convince them that it was safer and better, we employed more controllers at a lower price because we didn't have the structures and the overhead that the national provider had. Mm-hmm. We actually delivered a better service. As competent as Nats, because they were the same controllers effectively, to the, trained to the same standard, managing the risk far more, from our point of view, comfortably than we were before. 
So it's just you had more sight of it, so therefore there's oversight. there's more there's more fear around it then, isn't yeah. it? What, you know, you don't you don't fear what you don't know. Exactly. And it's like any business, how do you manage a business? Will you measure it? If you can measure it, you can manage it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that philosophy is the same with risk, and uh, it comes back to our discussion on uncertainty. Mm-hmm. For me, I love uncertainty mm-hmm. because those who can manage in an uncertain environment usually can make a turn. Mm-hmm. When everyone's doing the same thing, it's a me too market. Mm-hmm. When there's uncertainty out there and you can develop a strategy that copes with that, people succeed. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to a global risk that we have at the moment, Brexit. Yeah. We've just had the BBC News on as you walked in. And, and you know, there were Brexit's up there talking about customs union, Northern Ireland, hard border. Having worked in Northern Ireland, across the border many times, pumped to pound, pound to euro, and even, even in the 70s when it, when it was difficult, um, but I don't ever recall there being a wired border. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Brexit is a real issue for business there. It's a real issue for business with exports. And we are worried about it. And naturally, uh, someone who voted to remain, I'm very concerned that we haven't taken the right decision. However, my respect for democracy is greater than my own vision of remain. But here's the, here's the issue about managing uncertainty. Rather than worrying about all the things that are going to go wrong, my view is, and this is the part of the Chamber's view as well, how can we do business no matter what Brexit throws at us? Yes. Yeah. So should we be out there talking to Turkey? Yes, we are as a Chamber. Should we be out there talking to China? Yes, we are as a Chamber. Um, and this is the, just for the benefit of the listeners, this is the Greater Birmingham Chamber Indeed, of Greater Birmingham Chamber yeah. of Commerce. I've taken a view that says Brexit's happening. One way or other, we're going to ha- end up with a situation whereby we are dealing with China in Europe or China out of Europe. We've yeah. got two choices, but actually we're dealing with China anyway. China, for the Midlands, is the number one export market for cars. Yeah. Followed by the USA, two non-EU countries. Okay, so how are we going to make sure that business grows? And I fully get all the challenges with uh, the customs union of, you know, a car does four journeys before it's built through the EU and all that. But if the majority of people have made this decision, democracy to me is a very cherished thing, we'll accept it. So how do we as business manage that uncertain environment? Yeah. Well, basically, we've got to get off our backsides. We've got to go and find ways of doing business. And we've got to make ourselves as businesses Brexit proof. Mm. Because most of our businesses actually don't deal in international markets, they mm-hmm. deal local markets. Yeah. And, it, and that Brexit thing becomes noise and distraction. And what we need to do is increase our productivity, train our people, mm-hmm. invest in infrastructure, make sure that we've got all the smarts in the toolbox to deliver great business for this country. And if you think about it, there's lots of people trying to get into this country because it's a great place to live and work. Yeah. So we, we are doing something right. Mm-hmm. But managing uncertainty has got to be the number one thing for business managers today. Yeah. And it's interesting because you say you, lo- you love uncertainty and clearly you, you thrive on it. And, and I do too. But what would your advice be to people who, who don't? Because I, you know, I see uncertainty as the difference between management and leadership. You know, Management is managing the things that we already know. So we know how to do them. We've got the processes in place. Leadership is really required when things are uncertain and and Brexit is a great example of we don't know what it's going to look like so we have to lead our way through it what would your advice be to other leaders who perhaps don't have your same kind of ability to thrive in uncertainty well this this just comes to the heart of management or leadership I mean 
I was always told, I can't remember, you know, when you go to military, in the military, which I was in my earlier career, you always told me the, the Chinese general, Shinzu, or it was, I can't remember who it was, who said uh, the, the plan always fails on first contact with the enemy. So what does that mean? Well, the moment you say this is a plan, the moment you put the plan into action, it falls apart. Mm-hmm. Because there are all these forces out there that you haven't, you know, Donald Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns, all out there that impact on you. And a classic example of this uh, was Birmingham Airport when I arrived at Birmingham Airport in 2008. British Airways have been there for 40 odd years. Yeah. They pulled out in 2007 and the airport had decided to support British Airways despite the fact a low-cost revolution had occurred with the Ryanairs and EasyJets and effectively they weren't there in any shape or form and when British Airways pulled out it was replaced by Fly B the passenger numbers fell off the airport was was, was going backwards and uh, no one had thought about a plan B mm-hmm. no one had said well how do we, if British Airways goes what do we do right because they had their own terminal didn't they and everything you know yeah. everything was built around British Airways yeah uh, and it was very lucrative for them. British Airways is gone. What do you do? And so we had to have a low-cost strategy. And, and, and I think, you know, what should managers do? You should always be on the lookout for disruptors. Ryanair and EasyJet were disruptors to a market. Absolutely. And they changed the way we travel, yeah. as did Southwest and the US. Yeah. And, you know, so my advice to, to, to people is look for this disruptors. Mm-hmm. Look for the changes in the market and anticipate. Yeah. Uh, because it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, no mobile, no smartphones. Now, yeah, I mean, we're back to technology again. They rule your life. Massive change, isn't and, it? And, they, and they've not only not only changed what we do, they've changed the behaviours of people. Yeah. So you know, we would have a conversation. We might be having dinner, but there wouldn't be a mobile phone on the table. Now, mm-hmm. many people, there's a mobile phone sitting next to them, and they're constantly glancing at it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if 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 you if you if you, if you, st- you know, if you like operating within the rules. Fine, nothing wrong with that. However, the rules may be changed for you and you may not know about it. Mm. So flexibility, understanding, knowledge, learning, mm-hmm. you know, be a sponge. Take in as much information as you can mm. uh, and, and be adaptable. Yeah, and it's interesting because if, you know, if you look at, at children, they, they thrive on on uncertainty and they just play their way through well, things. But I guess they don't have the responsibility of running no, an airport or... No, a... <laughs> but, 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 that, but that childlike uh, acquisition of knowledge mm. is phenomenal. Mm. And they, 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 everything they do, a child, it, everything's uncertain because they've never experienced it before. Yeah. And the problem that we all get as adults, we understand risk and we get institutionalised. Mm-hmm. And the two things really stop us being creative. And it's look at those people who are creative, the people who go out and make millions... I'm not saying that's a, that's a goal in itself, but, but some people do, or, or do something different that helps people in different ways. Mm-hmm. They're usually not, you know, formulaic. Mm-hmm. They've stepped outside and said, "Ah, this is different," I'm, and I can cope with this. Now, a lot of people love wiring diagrams, love to be inside the box, but actually, you don't control the box. Yes, yeah. The the box changes shape, and you're still there. Mm. You've got to adapt. Mm. And uh, you know, it is Darwinian principles at the end of the day. Mm. And, and my advice to, 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 to leaders is, you know, be flexible, be adaptable, stick in the muds, get stuck. Mm. Yeah. Put it says on the tin. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's, let's come to um, the technology company that you're an non-exec director for. What, what's your experience of uncertainty there? You know, we talked earlier about how it's very, very different from a, 
from a, a bigger company? Well, like I mean, the, the, the key is that it's a very small company. There's eight people. Uh, it, it's knife edge. Uh, it's hand to mouth in terms of money. So they've invested in the development. It's a great product. Uh, I'm not going to give the name of the company at this point because okay. it's unfair, but it's a great product. It's a tech product where effectively it gets rid of paper. Mm-hmm. And in a compliance role, you can use the mobile phone or, or, the, or the smartphone and give it to an individual and they can basically do the work they would have done, but they'd have to write everything down. It tells them where to go. They take a picture of it. If there's a problem with the issue, they can annotate it. And at a press of a button, it goes back into a computer back at the head office and it's all compiled in a format that you can ha- send it off to the regulator, whether it's health and safety or the Civil Aviation Authority or whatever. And it's, 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 you know, it shows that you've done your job. Mm-hmm. It saves on paper. It saves on, on, on uh, staff power. It is incredibly useful. But actually, it's only operating in one location at the moment, and that's Birmingham Airport. That's how I got to know about it. Okay. Um, and they approached me when I left the airport and then said, uh, would, would I help them? And as I said, at the earlier part of our conversation, there are only 60 airports in the UK, of which 15 are the top. So it's a very small market these mm-hmm. guys are going to be targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need, to break, they need to crack it somewhere. And because they're small, a lot of companies won't look at them. Because they don't have the um, the sort of financial wherewithal, even though they've got some very you know sharp backers in, in two uh, sort of private equity uh, funds who are supporting them through this this learning stage and this starting stage. Uh, but I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that the guys who've got enthusiasm and passion and the, the technical wherewithal to deliver this it needs a little bit of business acumen, needs a bit of support. And one of my lending is just that sort of, thir- you know, sort of cold towel time. Put the cold towel on the head and let's just see how we can make this work without getting all excited. The technology is so wonderful because mm-hmm. ultimately it is a commercial deal that we yeah. have to do. And how do you think the uncertainty of the market affects them? I, I think it's a real challenge for them because like any business, when you're starting out, if you've got a new product, people, unless it's with the resources of Apple you've got a real uphill struggle because Mm -hmm. people don't understand the technology or the technology is at the wrong time I'll give you an example another company I was involved in uh, a few years back was a Rolls-Royce PLC uh, startup Mm -hmm. and they were in a a very uh, interesting space they were doing uh, again in the airport field but managing the flow of passengers through airports and Rolls-Royce had developed this technology because when they took an aircraft engine off the wing and repaired it, and all the bits went in different directions, they wanted to make sure everything was back, so they labelled everything with uh, radio frequency identification tags. Right. And so they could quickly scan and say, there it is. And they said, can we use this technology in a different way for ma- measuring bags or passengers? And a company was formed out of that, which uh, they, they tried to market. And the thing was that the technology was too advanced for the market. So they started to say, well, hold on, there's this new thing called smartphones. We'll create a virtual concierge to manage your journey to the airport, your journey through the airport, your journey to your onward destination. Brilliant product. Uh, you can get it on the market now. But 10 years ago, it was too advanced. It was too early, yeah. And, and it, it flopped. Mm. And my concern is that that sort of uncertainty, i.e., is the product, is its timing right? Is the, is the biggest uncertainty with these guys because mm-hmm. if it's too early 
it won't work. Yeah. If it's too late, someone else will have done it. Yeah. And it's, it, is, it is that timing issue that's, the, that's critical mm. in the success of this. But do I think it's a brilliant product? Yes, I do. Can it be, can it be put into different markets? Absolutely. But if you think airports are difficult to get into, uh, another, another brilliant business for this would be the health service. But that's a nightmare. Yes. Uh, yeah, good com- luck with that. Train companies will be very good, but again, train companies have got other problems to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. So these guys are having to deal with, uh, you know, the uncertainty of where's the cash coming from, the uncertainty of is the product right, the uncertainty of the market, uh, and they've got to keep the eight people motivated. Mm-hmm. And, and all, all, you know, power to them. They're doing a reason, reasonably good job. We'll see. Great. So um, I'm, a, you know. I'm, I'm obviously aware that you've got these four different roles now, and was it four or five different roles? Oh, well, five roles. Five roles. Yeah. Um, versus when you were at Birmingham Airport. Well, I had the only difference is when I was at Birmingham Airport, I had four plus yeah. the airport job. Oh, okay. So, so I'm doing the same jobs, non-exec, uh, because I mean the the, the the key thing for me at the airport when I ran it is that it was delegate or die. So you del as a you delegate and you get my manager. So I had four direct reports. Mm-hmm. They would delegate to their stuff. And you delegate to the point of where the decision is made with the consumer of whatever you're going to do. So I've had sufficient time as the CEO to be able to do these four of the jobs, right. which were effectively promoting the region or promoting mm-hmm. business. Because as far as I was concerned, and still, still true, that the economic well-being of the region will deliver a great airport because mm-hmm. people are employed, yes. they've got a holiday, they'll do business. Yeah. We'll, we'll be a beneficiary of that. And so being the chairman of marketing Birmingham as was, now the growth company, is, was merely an extension of the marketing of the airport company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Encouraging business to grow in Coventry and Warwickshire yeah. was an extension of our economic development. The university, well, I like Warwick University because I'm my alma mater, uh, and the chamber again it's all about business so for me that was all part of you know the, the, the airport story not being the airport CEO has meant there's a bit of a hole in my life because I don't have the cut and thrust of the drug called profit right you know and, and when you're when you're being motivated by managing a safe uh, and expeditious operation mm-hmm. in a profitable way and you get it right it's absolutely brilliant get it wrong it's challenging <laughs> yeah but if you're not doing it it can be a bit boring so right. uh that that for me is the biggest challenge i'm facing my biggest uncertainty is how do i manage not running a pnl right so clearly because clearly that's that's been important to you 36 and years and that drives <laughs> that drives you it motivates me yeah. i mean to see okay. people delivering great results for the consumer and for shareholders and and for the regional economy which mm-hmm. is why i got into the regional economy bit mm-hmm. Is very satisfying, mm. and uh, you know, I, I look back at the nine years at Birmingham, and I think, well, now I left on a high, mm-hmm. and the reason I left is my chairman was standing down, new chairman was coming in. I'd done nine years, but once we got it to the top airport in the world, number one for punctuality, top of the witch report for customer service, despite all the comments I made earlier about the five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand people complaining. Yeah, but once you know we got to those two positions, I thought. And by the way, profitability has moved from 11th best to 4th best in the UK. Can't do much more. Mm. I'm going to struggle. It's time to go. And it is time to go and do something yeah. else. And, I, and yeah. if something else came along, I'd really consider it. Mm. But actually, I'm, I'm still having fun doing the non-exec bits. Yeah. So uh, what motivates you now? What motivates me now? I still like to have fun. Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm having fun, I'm happy. Mm. 
and I get a lot of uh, pleasure from working with people like the guys in the chamber mm -hmm. who are just so committed. Mm. I mean, it, it is refreshing to see what those people have done. Uh, and the growth company is the same, where we've taken a company that was a private sector company, as Marketing Birmingham, and moved it into the public sector, effectively owned by the seven districts of the West Midlands uh, Command Authority area. But the, the motivation uh, of seeing these people to start to deliver uh, on, a, on a bigger scale, it, you know, that, that is very satisfying. Mm. University is a challenge because I'm not used to academic life, um, but actually the stuff I'm learning there, and it comes back to the point I made earlier, as long as you're learning mm. and t t doing new stuff, you know, I'm really, really content with that. And it keeps you fresh, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it puts you on the spot because if you, if you don't know something, what does that mean? Go away and learn it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, there's a, the, 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 the lifestyle is slightly different. So there's not the cut and thrust. I'm not getting up at six o'clock in the morning every morning and going to work. I might get up as I did this morning at half past seven. You know, it's a it's a it's a very different existence. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if someone said actually here's a real problem to go and solve, Paul, would you do it? Absolutely. Mm. I'd bite the hand off because that's what I you know that's that, that's that sort of being a bit of a maverick, mm -hmm. doing things differently mm -hmm. is how I've got you know what I consider to be a pretty enjoyable career. Mm. So given that you thrive on uncertainty and you are a maverick, what keeps you awake at night? Well, do you know what? I'm a pretty good sleeper. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people always say, oh, well, it must be an aircraft crash or something. That the answer was no. And the reason that I, I didn't lose sleep because of that is that uh, what I drew comfort from was the professionalism of the people who mattered. Mm. So I, you know, I mentioned the air traffic controllers, but the firefighters, the passenger service people, and we trained to make sure that those people were competent in the, in the things that they did, or the snow clearers. And actually, the, the things that you know used to worry me were not the sort of emergency stuff, but more, you know, have we got the politics right here? Mm. Uh, have we made the right decision with UK government to do X, Y, or Z? Uh, and that was far more challenging than actually the sort of day-to-day -day running the airport. Mm. Um, working with government, we're, we're, we're civil servants have a very, I mean, civil servants don't cope with uncertainty because mm -hmm. they're on railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. And unless someone changes the points and they switch, they're going down those railroad tracks. And trying to do something different is always a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, whilst it may never kept me awake, it did give me disturbed nights. Right. You know, where I was thinking about or worrying about mm -hmm. how can we get, how can we sort government out? And government throws out loads of challenges all the time, mm -hmm. wants to consult on everything. And you just haven't got the resources sometimes to, mm. to manage this. Um, so uh, that is the uh, that is the, the sort of you know, sixty-four thousand. What keeps you awake at night? The politics, mm. not the not the emergencies. Well, and, and what I'm hearing is the reason why the emergencies don't keep you awake at night is because you've got all the the various teams in place who are, have got that covered. Yeah. And as long as you've got that covered, and as long as you've got mm. the ability to make mistakes and learn from them and recover, then actually you can deal with whatever shows up. Yeah, and unfortunately with government politicians, they're only looking at the last meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and their agendas are so different and, and difficult. And, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is challenging for any government. So you've got uh, end years of recession, was it eight, nine years of, mm -hmm. of, of recessionary forces and, and the, the financial challenges that we've had with austerity. You've got a, an electorate that's voted one way for Brexit, 
I would say probably a political elite that's not comfortable with the way that the people have voted, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, a relatively weak government because of its lack of a majority in, in the House, and a leader that's being taken apart by just about everyone. It's not a recipe for success. <laughs> so when you come along and say, I've got this idea, well, that doesn't fit in with the programme because that's too too risky. Um, and yet some bold statements have been delivered. HS2, High Speed 2. Not everyone's happy about it. Certainly people in Warwickshire aren't happy about it going through their county. But the impact for the economic geography of the UK, I think is quite significant. Uh, and, and I'm surprised that we've arrived at the position we have, given the uncertainty that governments had over the development of that, the funding of it, the economy, Europe, who knows what. Uh, but actually, I think you know it's going to be one of those things where it's suddenly, uh, it plus a number of other things, unlock the Midlands mm. to a point where actually, if the Midlands does well as a, an economy, the UK will do well. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. One last question. What's your advice to any future leaders out there who want to develop their skills? What would your top tip be for them? Go learn. Go learn. Never stop learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we finish this meeting, I will be on the web doing some research for a a book I'm writing. Uh, It's not a a leadership book. It's a novel. Um, And what I find amazing, and, and hyperlinks are superb. Because you're reading something and you can click on a hyperlink and it takes you in a different direction and suddenly you get some information you never saw before. That's fascinating. And that learning, that quest for knowledge, mm. I think, you know, that childlike learning that we, we, we talked about earlier, don't lose that. Mm. Uh, because the more knowledge you get, the, the greater the opportunity is for you as, as a leader. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. It's been fantastic to talk to you oh, today. Thank you. thank you for your time. Well, we certainly covered a lot today. Paul has such a breadth and depth of business knowledge, not just limited to the aviation industry. He said that managing uncertainty has got to be the number one thing for business managers today. He thrives on uncertainty and is such a great advocate of developing the skills to lead through it. I love the idea of continual learning and I particularly enjoyed his phrase, a childlike acquisition of knowledge, and also the phrase, stick in the muds, get stuck. I certainly feel expanded as a result of my conversation with Paul and determined to have a childlike acquisition of knowledge and not to get stuck. I hope you do too. That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. (laughs) 